Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery. With me today, Lucy Boyce. I'm back, motherfuckers. Roger Hart. Hi. And this evening, for it is evening. It is. It is. We will be discussing violence. Uh, but probably not in the sexy, fun way, in the way where it's like bad and there are narratives around it and stuff. But first... But first. And before we get to what we've been reading... Um, Roger, you made up a load of lies about the the Appletizer Corporation, didn't you? I don't... Maybe. A few, a, few, a few episodes back, Roger recounted a harrowing tale from his childhood whereby he, he realised that when Apple Ties became Apple Tizer... Which apparently had always been in other countries. Did not know that. Yes. When, when this happened, Roger felt so supremely let down by... By the the Apple Tizer Corporation kowtowing to public opinion of their product having an entirely different name, um, it basically ruined your childhood, destroyed your faith in humanity, and turned you into the slavering socialist you are today. Largely, yes. Upon hearing this, the good people at the Apple Tizer Corporation—I don't know if it's actually called that. <laughs> no, I'm calling it that because it sounds like really it sounds like something out of Blade Runner. Consolidated um, Apple or something. I don't yeah. Know. Appletizer resilient, um, something really stern and corporate. Uh, they got in touch to tell us that that we were wrong and that Roger was a terrible person. Which is fair enough. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I can't fault their reasoning. Yeah, more companies need to do that. Really, um, it carries it carries a certain heft when it comes from a corporate hall. <laughs> Dear God, <laughs> instead of carrying a certain heft. Yes, she's back, everyone. She's back. Um, so the good people at Appletizer Resilient have sent us two bottles of Appletizer to let the healing begin. Yes, it's I. I wronged them. I affronted them. I, I. I took a revisionist perspective on my history based entirely on my personal trauma. I felt betrayed by a world that had in fact not let me down. And and these fine fine folks have sent us a liter and a half of lightly sparkling apple and pomegranate juice. It's we the are, experimental flavor. We are selling out so fucking hard right now. We're selling yeah. our souls to big games, apple. Games journalism thinks it's got a problem. Yeah. We can be bought for for, for fizzy for drinks. Reviews. About three pounds worth of fizzy yeah, drinks. Yeah, I think, I think it's about... Oh, and postage. They, I think they, it's... They sent it to the office. It's important to, to, to remember that we don't actually review apple juice for a living, and so this isn't necessarily the strictest conflict of interests, but... That said, shall we? Shall we begin? Shall we try some of this delicious we, beverage? Because we don't have a podcast wine today. No, we don't. We, we, we already wine. drank it. Shush. Shall I? Please. I, I'm concerned now that you pointed out that we don't review apple-flavored beverages for a living. How are we qualified to make this assessment? We've never been qualified for anything that we're saying. That's quite, absolutely it's quite, true. Look at that. It's, it's quite. Fizzy. It's it's lightly carbonated. It's I would say. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. So. Now, we've got pause, this pause well. Yeah, we've got this little ice, nothing nothing fancy. But Apart I from the booze, you're going to Yes, I think we case. will adulterate the ever-living fuck out of it with interesting rum and gin. Should we have a little snifter? Let's let's try this. Let's try this. Are you trying it naked first? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Handle on the bouquet. Mm-hmm. To your very good health. Quite sweet on the nose. It smells fruity. Mm. I would say fruity. I would say it smells like apples. I'm getting apple notes, also yeah, pomegranate but, notes. But pomegranate is, is, is a little bit from centre. Mm. Crisp though. But not too heavy on the palate. 
The pomegranate hasn't ridden all over it. Well played, appetizer R&D. Well played. I'd say the carbonation is a perfect level for this time. Would you say? It's quite it's reasonably light. Yeah. Yeah. It's not unnecessarily it's fluttery. It's not oppressive. I don't feel like I'm going to turn into a, you know, some kind of bagpipe of gas afterwards. No. We're not in farty blimp territory. A doodle sack. There's no, there's no ballooning here, yeah. is there? There's no, no ballooning at all. I don't think it's well measured. It's, it's reasonably gentle. There's plenty of fruit. The apple and the pomegranate are balanced. Um, Tastes it, less sweet than it smells. Yeah, which is it does, actually. It's, I, mm. I would call this, I would call this a session. Apple lightly, juice. lightly carbonated apple drink. Yeah, well, we've got some I think we'll come back to that, shall we? Should we get on to some comics and then we'll come back to yeah, Appletizer, which is now the focus of our podcast. We're um, we're going to mix it up a bit, but we are now mostly about apple juice. It's the Appletizer Hour. Every fifteen minutes, we do a plug for it. Mm. Lucy, welcome back. Hi. What are you reading? I've been reading two things. I read The Bad Doctor by Ian Williams, who I had the pleasure of meeting at Thought Bubble in 2012. He's a nice man. Um, and I read Pregnant Butch, which was one that Roger talked about way back in the wild blue yonder. I'm still drinking the apple ties. I can't help it. It's just so, so fruity and refreshing. So tell us about The Bad Doctor. The Bad Doctor is uh, the story of a small town GP working in Wales who has to deal with, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a sort of middle-aged father and doctor and community figure and having a bunch of annoying patients. He's also uh, got some pretty bad OCD symptoms that he's not really dealing with, and it's about how he, sort of through working with some of his patients and some of the things that happen to him, how he starts dealing with that. And it's semi-autobiographical, isn't it? I believe semi, yes. Yeah, the character in it's a little bit older and... um grumpier yeah but i think yeah there is he well i know ian williams is a doctor he's also the guy behind graphic medicine which is yes a conference i've been desperate to go to but i think they're doing it in the america this year which is a shame because last year it was in it was in london wasn't it or manchester i thought it was in brighton it was was definitely in a a place with buildings in a place we could have gone to but i was doing folk music on a stage at that time couldn't go so um the bad doctor the bad doctor uh written and drawn by I believe written and drawn by, yes. Um, he used to do comics under the name Tom Ferrier, um, and I've read some of his previous stuff under that name. But he's, I think, gone a bit more towards comics, a bit more away from doctoring, and thus can afford to use his real name these It's where days. the big money is. Using your real name. Indie comics. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, Just mad cash. Nothing not like being a doctor. Does anything, so what, does anything distinguish it? Does anything jump out? I mean, I'm sort of inherently interested in stories in medical settings and stories that deal with mental health themes. So that, they kind of sold me on those. Um, The sort of the crises of a middle-aged man weren't massively compelling to me outside of the OCD thing, just because I don't really know what it's like to have been married for a very long time and then vaguely fancy one of your colleagues. It's Um, also a narrative that is reasonably well trodden in modern literature well yeah you could just pick up like 80 percent novels and they'll be a middle-aged philip roth williams jonathan what's his face yeah him saffron saffron and saffron yeah all the jonathans yeah it's all about the jonathans so would you recommend it i would recommend it i enjoyed it it was um 
The first comic I'd read in a very long time, and it eased me back into the medium nicely and gently. Um, it was soothing. A nice uh, companion to psychiatric tales. Well, yeah. What's the art like? It's good. I like. I like the style. It's um, fairly. I'm picturing black and white line work. Yeah, black and white line work. Nice, um, sort of slender but firm strokes. Not too sloppy. Well constructed. Um, there's, if you're interested in bicycles, the guy does a lot of cycling. Mm. They, you know, the cycling is a plot device sometimes. That's nice. Nicicles. And pregnant butch. And pregnant butch. I'm now just kind of picturing all creatures great and small with frenetic hand washing. So pregnant butch. Mm. I enjoyed so it. You liked it. I liked it. Um, I still need to read this. So you were talking about whether it's guilty in places of being a bit iffy against trans issues. Yeah, well, it just kind of... It explains its working. So yeah, I, I there, guess... There's a lot of hand-wringing about it, but yeah, I, I, I did a couple of sharp intakes of breath at some of it. I guess I was satisfied from having had that discussion with you from reading the introduction, which is a mm. bit better on that stuff. And generally, I mean, I guess I came at it from a perspective of this is somebody who's very much still part of a thing that, that genuinely is disappearing, mm. and that must feel kind of weird, especially when there's a thing that sort of looks like it might be a bit of a cipher for it that could be replacing yeah. it when actually they're kind of different identities. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think it was a reasonably innocent category error, but it's just present and it's presented with some self-analysis. But I enjoyed it. Um, I don't just ever want to have a child, but I didn't beforehand, so that's fine. I'll just say, like, straight up front, none of the comics I read um, this week have had any effect on my desire to have or not have children. None That's of, good. None of them have flipped me around. The swing armature remains unchanged. It remains unswung. The swinging of the meat. That's how you make the children. It's Yes, it's like a pendulum. It's one of the ways. <laughs> With the meaty pendulum. Then the stork comes. You swing the meaty pendulum three times, if it lands the right side, the stalk comes. Of course. That's how it works. I went to biology once. <laughs> I think it was a shop. <laughs> Roger, what have you been reading? I just don't know anymore. No, um, I have been reading um, The Complete Wendell by Howard Cruz. Oh, um, Howard Cruz of Stuck Rubber Baby yeah, thing. How is it? It's good. It's lovely. Um, I'll, I'll get, get to that in a minute. I've been reading Deadly Class, which I think is Rick Remender. It is. Which is nearly good. Um, and um, I... So, so Image. Oh, oh, Image. They, they send out a little newsletter with the week's forthcoming singles, and that has a bad habit of hitting my inbox about the same time as I tend to come home from the pub half-cut. And I just click through and buy whatever looks like sci-fi, because I'm a fucking idiot. And, you know, singles aren't that expensive. So I also picked up the first issue of um, Roche Limit. Roche, is it Roche Limit? It's yes. Roche Limit. Roche Limit. Roche Point. Roche, Roche Limit. So many times that you It's stuck in my head. Roche yeah. Roche well, last last time you told me that Jonathan Hickman wrote something where it was actually Nick Spencer, and I said Jonathan Hickman the whole way through, and I was wrong. No, so. Jonathan Hickman. No, you, you, I didn't worked in product that. management. You did. You did. No, 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 you, you were getting it wrong before I'm on. No, 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 no. You told me the wrong one. Lies, lies, and slander. Um, I don't know who to believe. Don't believe him, he's a little dick splint. <laughs> it's also how you make the babies. <laughs> All biology on the Consequential Podcast. No, um, Roche Limit is, um, it's the opening of a new sci-fi series. The 
art kind of looks like a watered down, slightly more conventional version of Jeff Lemire's working trillium. But it, it's slightly, uh, the, the covers are very well designed. There are some very well designed panels, very well designed layout, which is what struck me about it. And it's a story about an off-world Earth colony in the kind of, I don't know, a couple hundred years in the future. Recognisable culture, nothing too crazy. Uh, that is situated somewhere near a weird spatial anomaly that's a bit like a black hole, but not quite. And an eccentric billionaire built this colony with the hope of bettering mankind, but it went massively off the rails. And then we kind of, we jump straight into someone, it, it's become a bit of a sort of seedy criminal underworld, basically. We jump straight into someone looking for her sister, and then a mysterious local stranger who helps her out, and it's just... You've been reading a lot of border town sci-fi lately, I haven't you? I, I wonder what's up with that. It's fine, you know, it's, it's entertaining, it might be going somewhere, it doesn't... There's a little trickle of tiny, not particularly aggressive disappointments. So the art doesn't quite live up to the design, but the writing doesn't quite live up to the premise. That you know, it's just kind of there's, there's a few near misses there, but it's probably worth a look. Okay. Deadly class then. Yeah. So Deadly Class starts as Harry Potter for murderers and turns into um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for murderers. Interesting. Tell us more. Uh, I kind of, I liked it, and then I started hating it, and then I sort of liked it again. It's a weird book. So, it's, um, you've got this street kid, uh, Marcus Areo, I, I, I can't, I, I can't remember who he's actually, he's from Nicaragua. Nicaragua, Nicaragua, what do you do? You, how, Nicaragua. What do you do with the letters at the back? Nicaragua. Okay, that's Or you can just pronounce that. it with an English accent, Nicaragua. which is Nicaragua. Okay, well, he's from there. Um, and his parents are dead. Um, and he spent his early childhood in care and brief flashbacks to this suggest that that was pretty monstrous. He's also got problems. Um, so problems, he's had, he say. He's had quite a lot of therapy and he's quite psychiatrically aware. He self-analyzes constantly and has difficulty kind of emotionally connecting. There's something slightly sociopathic isn't quite right, but, you know, TV sociopathic about him. A little bit Dexter, a little bit Cumberbatch Holmes. He sort of feels like the world owes him. Um, he essentially has this sort of tra- sort of trail of um, responsibility in his head, whereby mm. he his his family left Nicaragua because they were um, they were opposing the regime there. Um, so they came to the states and were given um, uh, were given somewhere to live and. Through a long chain of events that end with a woman's suicide crushing them to death when she jumps off a bridge, he blames Ronald Reagan for this. Well, of course. So because uh, there, I mean, there are some other extenuating circumstances. His great dream is to murder Ronald Reagan. Because of Reaganomics? Yeah, cuts in social care. Um, essentially mm-hmm. driving someone off their medication to commit suicide, which kills his parents. And it would be horrendously heavy-handed, except for the fact that he's basically talking to camera when he says this, so it's posed as heavy-handed. The comic yeah. kind of gets away with it. So it opens with him on the streets, kind of just about surviving. Mm. And he's obviously constantly quite close to snapping point. He's mm-hmm. quite prickly, a little bit violent, incapable of looking after himself. Bit of a bit of a conscience, a little bit of moral moral awareness. Some very beautiful panel layout. There's some um, the, the use of panels is fantastic. Kind of changing sizes and juxtapositions, and really nice uses of flat color with negative space. It's it's quite elegantly put together. There's some great on. great stuff with movement as well, yes. particularly in the car chase in the first mm, issue with expanding and contracting panels. Uh, and this is one thing I think it, I think it kind of gets a lot less interesting in the middle and then perks up. Uh, 
And it becomes obvious that something horrible happened at the children's home, like really, really horrible. And he starts to be hunted by the police, and he's then rescued by a bunch of mysterious, murderous teenagers, who it turns out have just recruited him into an underground, literally underground, giant mansion house academy for assassins. He's basically going to murder Hogwarts. The, like, Psycho Harry Potter's school days, kind of him having a bad time at this school for Psycho Harry Potter's school days. Um, and him sort of having a wretched time and getting to know what's going on at this school and different classes and there are some sort of hot Harry Potterish nods, um, but he and, and various other kind of schools. It nods. gets bogged down in the new kid learning the ropes, the thing but for I think two. That's quite well done. Yeah. I preferred the school section to the drug section. I like that kind of thing generally. But, uh, and so you know there are different. Well, you've been reading fucking Shelley girl novels. That's great. <laughs> Now that they're getting worse and worse and worse, and the N-word's cropping up, and it's all gone to hell. And there are these different cliques, and, um, you know, all of the kids there, some of them are nth-generation assassins, they're, you know, sons of drug cartel lords or bent cops or whatever, and he's one of the first just raw new kids, and they see potential in him. And then creeping in the background is some stuff from his past, and it's all going quite nicely, and it's beautifully structured, a little bit lazy in places, and then suddenly they bunk off school to go and take a bunch of drugs. And it turns into this weird fear and loathing thing, and, and he and one of his friends end up murdering their friend dad, and they get hunted by a psychotic hillbilly who fucks animals. Um, and there's just, it just kind of, it goes a bit funny, and the art becomes more interesting again. But the story kind of, I think it spends far more time than is fun or interesting on that stuff. I'm, I'm kind of more interested in the world building and the trajectory of the weird school stuff and what's happening to him and his life and his moral perspective that it does early on. And the big high body count drug trip with the slightly disrupted timeline just didn't do it for me. Mm. It's kind of similar in a way to Morning Glories, which is very much a similar premise. There are a bunch of kids who are recruited to what the world knows as a, a very... Um, very prestigious school Hmm. but when they're there they're essentially put through horrendous trials and they murder each other Hmm. Uh, and yeah so it's 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 definitely something that's cropped up a few times lately deadly class is infinitely better than morning glories um morning glories looked like it would be interesting and then it looked like it was mostly boobs yeah there is it's it is a bit of that especially which is this is not mostly boobs. Kind of crass, particularly That's given that all meant to be about 15 or 16. Down. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's not even particularly fetishizing the violence, which is odd because one of my usual heuristics for is this comic fetishizing violence is does, does someone have an out-of-context katana? And this is a comic in which someone has an out of context katana and is not sexualized, um, fetishizing the violence. I mean, that's kind of true in real life as well. If someone's got a katana, they're probably fetishizing violence. Yes. Yeah, I think that's 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 an assumption you can make. Uh, I stress out of context, like actual samurai comics may not be fetishizing the violence. So how's the violence in Wendell? Um, minimal, although it does open with a bondage joke. It's not really violent, though, is it? It's, it's not. How you do. It's, it's very funny, though. So Wendell is, Wendell is fascinating. I, I came across Howard Cruz in um, Stuff of a Baby, which we've talked about, and is brilliant. And his line work and hatching and just detail, page composition, the man's, a, the man's brilliant. Like a sort of tidier Robert Crumb, I guess, but I think maybe a bit more talented. Yeah, there's definitely some Crumb stuff in there. Mm-hmm. 
It must take him so long to do it as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, you've seen Stucker Away, you know, yeah. it's just, it's so intricate. Mm. So, Wendell is the comic that ran, that he ran in The Advocate for pretty much the entirety of the 80s. It started in 81. And the book's slightly awkward because it shifts size, so the orientation changes. But it's the story of Wendell Trupstock, who is a, yes? Right, two things. I'd like to point out that I didn't make a joke when you said the orientation changes, even though I totally could have done. Did you say he's called Truck Stop? Truck Stock. Is it a truck stop joke? No, but there's lots of weird little wordplay, deliberately ridiculous character names. Okay. And some of that carries over into mm. Stuck Rubber Baby, I'd say. Yeah. These sort of exaggeratedly southern names. It's, it's basically Archie comics with cocksucking. I'm pretty sure that's Archie, Archie nowadays. Now. Yeah, sure. But, um,. So Wendell is kind of the put next door. He's uh, he's this sort of charming, wholesome, slightly lovely, politically engaged but not too angry, aspirational young man. He's sort of he wants to be a novelist. He's working in a junior position at a magazine. He's not all that self-aware except in flashes. And it started off as a sex caper comic. So the first one is Wendell. Reading, sex capade, please. Wendell reading a personal ad. Ooh, this sounds a lot. This, this sounds very much like me, and it gets down to fine levels of detail. I must have a mole on your back, on your left buttock. And then, who could possibly know me so well? The punchline of the comic is him tied naked, tied up at the family dinner table with his mum explaining that it was the only way she could get him to come home for dinner. That sounds uncomfortable. I bet. Yeah. And it, it starts off with it's, it's kind of little sort of American queer community in jokes, mostly mostly sex jokes, and it gradually fleshes out as, as Wendell finds Ollie, his boyfriend, and they start cohabiting and looking after Ollie's son and meeting a recurring cast of friends. And then it starts to engage with some of the 80s, basically. The 80s start to happen. Right. Um, so you, you get the spectrum of all of the AIDS stuff and it becomes a bit more serious. It becomes a bit more of a drama. You The, the, the line work changes as well. It becomes a little bit less cartoonish and a little bit more realistic well, it, it remains quite stylized and it's just it's just kind of lovely it's it, it, it moves from being quite a good slightly in your geek hack strip to being a nice queer lifestyle story occasionally unpleasant occasionally touching you and it's one of the first you describing it like that makes me think of Dax to watch out for it does is, it yeah, yeah. okay it, it's that for boys. Hmm. And it was a heavy influence on Dykes to watch out for. Um, Alison Bechtel writes the forward to this. Which Excellent. My remarks are extensively cribbing from, to be honest. Um, Speaking of um, Alison Bechtel, she won the MacArthur Genius Grant. She did. Yeah. Everyone Wait. was very happy. Fantastic. Yeah. Which is impressive. So, another book soon. Can I hope? That would be nice. And a whole bunch of other stuff, right? She'll get to do all sorts of things. This is this yeah. is this is super cool. Yeah, that's the whole point of the grant. It's it's money and really recognition for being good at what you do. It's, yeah. it's a nice thing. No, Wendell is Wendell is good. The I think the collected edition is newish. Um, I I saw it in Gosh um, at the weekend. The design looks quite old fashioned. It looks like the sort of big far side collections from the early nineties, mm. but but it's the whole comic has that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, it, no, it, it's. It's nicer than the stuff I normally like, but within the confines of that, it's very me. It's sort of mm. a little bit angsty and over-intellectualising itself, often quite fragile in places. And I, it's... Much of the edges rubbed off? It's a lovely thing. The focus isn't on the alcoholism. That one was a little bit forced, I think, you're slipping. Mm. 
It's okay. Speaking I'll of which, would you like a little gin? Yes, why not? Well, I was going to go for rum. So we have a um, Havana Club seven-year-old slightly spiced it? No, I think it's just aged. Would you rather I didn't whisper threatening in Spanish on the podcast? No, I was expecting someone to do an anus joke, so oh, that's okay. actually quite um, quite good. We're coming out ahead. I'm going to have the uh, Donnie's View Elderflower Gin in mine. I think this, I think this, we're going to need the second bottle of this I think we are the enticing bottle. beverage. We poo pooed the second Ms. bottle, Ms. but we were, I would love to top up. Thank you. This is a charming drink. So the um, I'll get the other bottle. So the Darnie's View Gin is rather exciting. Um, it's um, Weems, the uh, the malt uh, the malt people, their master distiller, decided to make a slightly unusual upmarket upscale gin, and this is the result. And it's quite citrusy with quite a lot of elderflower. It's rather lovely. It smelled great. Ooh. How does it go with lightly sparkling fruit juice? Oh, that's really good. So it's the citrus is kind of. Ricocheting off the off the fruit notes and the apple ties, and the elderflower kind of works with the muted pomegranate in the background. I'll be honest, this just tastes of rum, <laughs> but I think your hand may have slipped. Have a little snifter of that. The apple ties that's just apple ties are still just taste like apple ties. So I should probably point out, you know, for completeness. That's a that's a much better balanced drink. I would I would Did recommend. I just pour you too much rum. You just poured a shit ton of rum. We can like, let it down. Your shaky hands have already <laughs> let me down. Oh god, that just stinks of rum. The warmth of the rum plays very nicely with the um, kind of being drunk. No, with the pomegranate. So rum and apple works anyway. Rapple, uh... I like to call it. That's a bit better. I think this would be better with a spritz of lime. Um, I might have a little lime juice. Would you like some? Oh, please. I, I would strongly recommend this with the, the gin, though. A variety of spirits to choose from, folks. A variety. Have a little lime juice, Mr. Conrad. Thank you. Do you have something to stir with, or do I need to use my little finger? I can find you a chopstick. You've got other things you could use. I was suggesting you stick your dick in it. I know, just... I know, I know. But even even when... It's just not seemly, is it? It's no, just, it's not. Just, you don't He's not bringing me a fucking chopstick. Please do not pop your meat pendulum in there. I don't want to. It's how you impregnate the apple guys, We don't want to, to do that. Like these sparkling babies. Ah, oh, yes, that's much better. Hmm. Just needs a little lift. So what are you calling your cocktail? Oh, God, I didn't know I had to... No, you have to name it. Oh, um... I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, what sort of barman are you? You can't, you know, just <laughs> throw something together and come up with an elaborate name. Well, for... given its heritage, I think I might have to call it a brand engagement. Very good. Um, I'm going to call mine rum, because it's fucking rum, and anything else is in homeopathic quantities, you psychopath. <laughs> I think mine's called the cruel, cold taste of sobriety. Thanks, appetizer. Mr. Conbury. Mr. Hart. What have you been reading? I have been reading two things, which seems to be... Two whole things? Two whole things. Two entire things. Um, first of all, I read um, Stickleback um, by Ian Eddington and Disraeli. Disraeli of comics fame. Disraeli or, of comics fame? Yeah, not the, not the former president, the prime minister, even. Mm. Um, What's the Disraeli thing that I might have read? 
Um, possibly Lazarus Churchyard, if Roger tried to get you to read that. Um, otherwise, he's done a lot of work for 2000 AD. Um, so he did Judge Dredd Trifecta, which we were talking about before. It is lovely. Yeah, and this is another 2000 AD story, and it's um, it's the story of a Victorian master criminal called Stickleback, who is uh, deformed and has his spine protruding through his back and his... Um, uh, through the skin. Through the skin. Uh, through his coat. It's just you can just see his spine on there. It's, Did he have to make a hole in the coat? Or do you think it kind of popped out and he just kept the coat on? Well, there's some talk that it might be a costume and he might not even be deformed. He might be trying to lead people down the wrong path. Rude. Um, but it's it's um, him and his uh, bunch of sort of circus freak type characters. Um, like there's um, conjoined conjoined twin called uh, Mister Lugs and Mister Peepers. One of whom has giant ears for listening, and one of whom has giant eyes for spying. Um, and then there's a man who's perpetually on fire. Um, <laughs> that sounds unfortunate. Yes. It's quite um, yeah. There's the tattooed lady, and it's um, it's it's good old Grand Grignol Victorian crime nonsense. The first volume is about sort of the one detective who believes he's real, trying to track him down, and some horrible stuff that happens around that. Um, and the whole thing sort of takes place with him trying to sort of consolidate his role in the criminal underworld by taking down this other group called the City Fathers, who uh, bound London a thousand years ago through ritual magic and have been ruling it ever since. Ritual magic uh, with a K or without a K? Without a K. Okay. Oh, it doesn't actually spe- specify that it's magic, but they sacrifice Gog and Magog and bind them underground to a giant oak. So, underground giants, underground, uh, down yeah. to a giant oak. Lots yeah. of underground, lots of giants. Yeah. I see. This sounds like something I might enjoy. I think you would enjoy it. It's um, it's 2000 AD, so it's very fast-paced mm. and very, very silly. But it's absolutely... It looks great. It's black and white. Um, but the layout's fantastic. And it's got this very odd sort of digital t- um, collage effect where textures are just used in place of colouring. Right. Um, and so it's sort of built-up textures, which are then sort of drawn over again or highlighted and and played around with so it's got this sort of very odd look to it where you sort of sometimes you'll just have lines sometimes you'll have these sort of weird textures which are grabbed from leaves and brick and things like that um so it looks very cool and the whole thing is um sort of really bizarre mix between sort of dickensian ragamuffins like he's very much the. You the sort enjoy of, saying I do like so. saying ragamuffin. Yes, I can get away with it here. Uh, this is not a safe work, space. Right? No, not at work. Um, it's not that safe a space. I might might make you eat cauliflower cheese later. You're not going to. I won't. Eat, I just I can't eat it. I don't like it. We can tie him up. We can put yeah. him inside him. You've got a nozzle in the cupboard. We can make this happen. Anyway, it's a nice comic. I liked it. Um, volume 1 just came out. Volume 2 is coming out in November. And it just started Volume 3 in 2000 AD, the magazine, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was assuming like a sort of closed one-shot. I don't think it it's, so the first, the first volume is um, two one-off stories. The first one is sort of these detectives trying to find out, find Stickleback. And then the second one is him and his associated uh, carnival act taking on Wild Bill Cody's uh, circus, who is also, you know, which is also full of uh, Lovecraftian monsters disguised as carnies. Of course. Okay. I, You're in, right? Yeah. You're I, in. Yeah, it's, 
it's got all the stuff I like. Mm. Weird carnival shit. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, it's if that if that description doesn't appeal, there's probably not much there for you. It is a good one of those. Um, the other thing I read was uh, Ricky Rouse has a gun. Does he? Ricky Rouse, yeah. he does. Yeah. I, I saw this in Botch when I was shortly after I was getting concussed. Um, because your soup is fucking important to this narrative. Was it a tarot? It's right across the road. Was it a tarot? Oh no, you went somewhere else. Yeah, to um, Bone Daddies. Bone Daddies, <sighs> which course. is amazing. Oh god, that chicken broth. doesn't doesn't do anything vegetarian. Though. I did. I really not a single that's, that's thing. That's okay. I'll just go to Tara. The uh, Mr. Tara is so rude. They massively <laughs> fucked up our order, but then they were lovely about it. Why is Mr. Tara rude? Well, so the last time I went to Tara, we were sort of forced into a seat by him, which was, and you know, he sort of shoved me into the seat, like physically and by the shoulders, the table into me. But what was worse was when he was trying to seat another couple, and um, it wasn't a very, it's not a very big restaurant the, the one in Soho mm. that they've got there and um to get them into their table he another woman was eating and he just tipped her chair forward so she kind of tipped into her meal so these other people could get by to a table he's the worst head waiter I've ever that met that is not cool that but sounds... it's, just, it's kind of amazing I mean there's four branches in central London fairly close to each other so if you see him in there go to a different one will, will, will we prefer... in the route yes uh, it's a London based mm. chain of Cheapish, goodish Japanese restaurants. Uh, try the uh, tofu donburi. It's great. Ooh. Big, sticky, glazed tofu steaks. Mm. They also do it in a bento box if you want some tempura and soup and salad and shit. They're weird. But they do that with Japanese potato salad with it. Like that. I'm not a huge fan of bento boxes. It's it's an it's a bit school canteen. Mm. You get a nice lacquered one. It's lovely. It's like someone inexplicably lacquered a fancy school dinner. Get the tofu done. So anyway, you saw this comic. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I presume you were going somewhere with that and it wasn't just an excuse to talk about fancy soup. (laughs) Fancy soup. We'd have to link to fancy soup. What's fancy soup? Fancy soup is a late 90s series of flash animation cartoons that are genuinely horrifying. There's the one about the vicar vomiting and people shopping, and the one about um, abducting children and putting spiders in them. And is this from the old internet? Yeah, this is from the, old, the internet. old internet. <laughs> this is when if you wanted to watch something in Flash, you had to wait half an hour. There wasn't a Tumblr's. And it's, they're just brilliant, just beautifully observed, horrible little animations. There's the one about the tramp blowing a hole in space-time by wanking too hard. Yes, that's a good one. Anyway, please, please, please finish your fucking story. <laughs> no, um, was it just that you saw this comic? Yes, and I thought it looked really interesting, but I didn't really know what to make of it. And I'm glad that you've read it, because now I can ask you questions. It's good that I was here to tell you five fucking minutes ago before you started talking about soup, isn't it? I enjoyed the soup, Conroy. Yeah, I, I, don't, I think you're underestimating the importance of soup here, Mr. Conroy. We gave some restaurant recommendations. I gave can good we... advice about a very rude Japanese man. Okay, I'm putting a, I'm putting a survey in, in the, the show notes about how much soup matters to you. We may have to pivot and, and reposition ourselves as it's a, a soup, soup cast. Soup cast yeah. do we, soup. we can dip the bread cast in the soup, soup cast. cast. <laughs> I enjoyed the bread cast. You should put a link to the bread cast. Sure. Another link to the bread cast. Tell us about the comic. Tell us about the bread cast. So, first up, I didn't really like it. Let's just get that out of the way. Really? It looked fun. Um, it is, but it's really confused. 
Right. So the story starts with a young soldier, American soldier in Afghanistan called Richard Rouse. Ricky Rouse. Does, this, does anyone at any point call him Ricky Ricky Rouse? Rouse? No. Oh. No. The writing isn't actually that inventive. It's a shame. Um, and he receives a letter from his wife, possibly girlfriend, that she's leaving him. And he just deserts the army and walks from Afghanistan, presumably across a couple of countries, into China. And winds up in Shanghai. And through a series of very bad decisions, winds up working at a knockoff um, Chinese theme park that's meant to look like Disneyland. Um, and uh, the very over-enthusiastic owner finds that because he's called Ricky Rouse and this is a hilarious joke where it sounds like someone saying Mickey Mouse in a bad Chinese accent oh. that he is to be the figurehead and he is going to be the the um, the the main character of the scene part. The whole thing, so it does go into this stuff. It goes into sort of Western perception of China. It goes into Chinese sort of uh Ripoffs of um, Western characters, um, the interplay between the two, the nature of capitalism, and all of that. Um, it does. It it doesn't avoid their stuff, and it doesn't avoid the sort of fact that there is a sort of switch from a normal American cultural imperialism. Not normal. That sounds terrible. But you know that thing that's <laughs> been, that the thing to. that's been happening for a while. Yeah. To China's sudden massive expansion economically and the fact that it's sort of the fact that they're re, uh, reappropriating things and it's not necessarily a problem that they may overtake the originals that's part there's of it there's a really it. good 99 um, percent invisible podcast about that with uh, the architecture. knockoff architecture yeah god i love that show is is there any orientalism in, in this comic would you say um not masses okay, no there's no um no they're the the American characters and the the Chinese characters are all fleshed out in a similar way. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're they're particularly well fleshed out, but the you know there's no there's no magical uh, Oriental people. Yeah, sorry, so, wrong one. No, but there's we don't have a term for it. There's no equivalent of that. No, it like magical Negro does apply in mm-hmm. this because it's that sort of it's the written out of context and without any particular understanding. There's no, I think inscrutable would be the equivalent. Yeah. When you're sort of badly writing Asian people, it's the inscrutable. Slash dragon and, uh, ladies. Yeah. Hells of dragon ladies. There isn't really that. It's good. Um, eventually the theme park gets uh, attacked by uh, a bunch of American extremists uh, who are all dressed as the characters from the theme park. Hmm. So there is the knockoff Donald Duck. There are... A bunch of midget mercenaries in Snow White Seven Dwarf costumes, and because he's drunk in one of the bars, he wakes up in the in the Mickey Mouse costume, and it's a diehard scenario with him fighting against these people who are trying to take over the park. Oh, and his kids are there. His kid and his wife are there. There would be ways of doing that well from your tone. I'm inferring this is not that. Yeah, so... It's a shame. It's, it's an interesting sounding concept. It is. And it's it's really muddled about the story it wants to tell because it wants to go into all of this stuff around um, the interplay of the two cultures and who takes what from whom, whether there's an expectation in, in both directions. But then it has this really 
hyper-violent, really muddled humour um, running throughout it. Because, you know, there's something inherently funny about a heavily armed Mickey Mouse taking on all of the other Disney characters. But it keeps ramping up. Mm. So it sort of gets to the point where you have a character who is... Without wanting to give too much away, a fairly senior politician with a nuclear bomb strapped to his chest, and the sort of endless escalation, mm. and the fact that the the humour is just kind of genuinely off kilter, and the characters are quite broadly broadly sketched out, just means that it never quite lands. So that works fantastically in Invader Zim, but mm. yes, but in, but organs. again, it's the it's the but tone of the thing. Fair. Like, Invader Zim has a very neat, very consistent... It's a very high-energy mm. slapstick mm. thing. Well, it also... Its core premise is let's escalate playground-level childishness to mm. thermonuclear weapons. Yeah. Whereas this sort of feels ridiculous, because... Donald Rumsfeld has a bomb strapped to his chest and is there to prevent American uh, Chinese cultural imperialism. That is his job, I heard. That was his job was instead of shooting th- people. When he stopped shooting people, they made that his job. So it feels like there's sort of two things in there that you could have had a really grim version of this with some humour. That probably would have worked. Mm. You could have had the like trauma scale, insane version where it was just really run and gun. But it just it just really didn't land for me. There's some interesting stuff there, but I actually didn't like mm. it very much. It's a pity. Hmm. You should probably give it a try. You might come out with a completely yeah, might, different... I'm tempted to read it just because even if it doesn't quite land, as it sounds like it doesn't, mm. um, I think it would be interesting. I think it's it just... quite long, though. It's just trying to do too much. Obviously, there's stuff about identity when he's, you know, he's got the same name as the character. He's wearing the costume. It does stuff with sort of how he hides himself. But again, it's just... It sort of jumps in and out of all of you these different things. You lazy superhero stuff there if you wanted to as well. Yeah, they don't really. They don't really. There is a there is a character called Rambi who is a. Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, that was a sigh of despair rather than sexual excitement. Yeah, it's a it's a. Yeah, thank God for laminate flooring though. Mm. See, been I, lot, I, there's I, been a lot of hand clutching heads. Yeah. I'm just remembering that thing from. Deadly class where the guy uses a jar of mayonnaise to lube up when he fucks the goat. Let's all take a moment of silence for the goat. Poor goat. So at the outset of this, um, we said we were going to talk about violence. We lied. We've, uh, We've actually run out of time and done quite a lot of violence, so... We'll hold that over for uh, for next time. Yeah, I mean, I think there is there's some stuff we can. There is plenty to discuss. There is, the, I mean, the general perception of comics is a sort of violent and childish thing. Mm. And while I don't care about sort of challenging it in the broader context, there is a lot of stuff to take apart there. But a bit of knowing your roots as well, kind of the early crime foily sort of Superman-y stuff. And yeah, there's a whole trajectory. Indeed. So there's plenty that we can come back to that isn't actually about sparkling apple juice or elaborate soups. So until then, dear listeners, goodbye. Farewell. Toss off. Fuck the police.